This is the Drive-In Podcast, take one. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to episode 106 of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have a special throwback review of the 1986 classic Top Gun. So use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy episode 106 of the Drive-In Podcast. Howdy Doody, episode 106 of the Drive-In Podcast has arrived. This is one of your co-hosts, Dr. O. I'm joined as always by my brother and my very special Top Gun enthusiast, Ricky Flicks. Ricky Flicks, what's the hype level at going into our Thursday viewing of Top Gun Maverick? Dr. O. The hype level is incredibly high. To put a number on it, specifically out of 10, it would be at a 9. 9.0 out of 10. And it's strictly because, number one, my affinity to the first film. This is going to be a very biased review. Very biased on my end. I'll try to rein it in, but very biased. Love the first film. So already high expectation for the second one or high hopes. And Tom Cruise is one of my favorite actors of all time. Top five easily for me. So just on that alone, my hype for it was off the rails. But what makes it into the past of seven it was off of these reviews saying that like the the con, I have it at con last week, the seven, five to six uh, minute standing ovation, Tom Cruise getting recognized at con after so many years not being there especially for a Top Gun movie, an action blockbuster. The review saying there's potential Oscar buzz around this. It's got to be high, mm. and it's going to be a 9.0 for me out of 10. So I knew it was going to be this high for you. I know your anticipation was high initially, even before the 95%, 96 97% on Rotten Tomatoes Absurd. came out. Uh, I know you have an affinity for Tom Cruise. You love Top Gun. You love this early stage of Tom Cruise's career, not to dismiss what he's done from the Mission Impossible franchise and his recent work, but I know that you are just a straight-up Tom Cruise guy. You're a risky business guy. You're a Top Gun guy. So, for me, uh, my anticipation these last couple years, because this has been delayed nonstop the past three years, movie shot in 2018, I wasn't that excited for this movie until... I rewatched Top Gun a couple weeks ago. When I rewatched Top Gun a couple weeks ago, I started to envision the possibility of a sequel to this movie. One that I dismissed, an idea, a concept I dismissed earlier on. But after rewatching this movie, the juicy characters that are a part of it, Tom Cruise looks like he hasn't aged a day, looks like he's still bringing the heat. 
And this comes in the same week that we get that an absolutely electric Mission Impossible Mission Impossible trailer that is now on its last legs of Tom Cruise jumping off cliffs and doing whatever stunts possible to give audiences uh, the experience that they deserve. So, and then also add on that Rotten Tomatoes aspect. I'm hovering around like an eight eight point five, eight eight point five. I have very high expectations now for this movie. The question is. Will they live up to them? And I think it's a good idea. I'll let you speak on that in a sec, Ricky Flex. But I think it's a great idea that we do a throwback review this week in case audiences haven't gotten a chance to rewatch Top Gun. It is on Netflix. It is leaving in about eight days, May 31st. Why is this a thing? Make sure you check it out as soon as possible. But you're right. Streaming, they have this issue of like gaining rights or like these these, uh, uh, studios have act. terrible tactics when it comes to making sure their movies are streaming previous iterations of their movies initial right releases are on streaming so audiences can enjoy them it's terrible it ruins hype for movies it hurts movie theaters it's like they do it because it hurts movie theaters it's very weird like we saw it with james bond there wasn't a single james bond movie streaming for free when uh the latest uh, no time to die was coming out like that makes no sense whatsoever it's like the only time you could actually see something as a superhero film to get hyped for a superhero movie. If it's not there, then you can't watch like a franchise like James Bond or a huge a blockbuster of the decade, some may say, and Top Gun, uh, Top Gun uh, 1986. So it's ridiculous. But just to quickly kind of – it kind of starts off the conversation. I don't mean to take over the host reins, but – Go ahead. Do you know how much this made at the Worldwide Box Office? When this Top, came uh, out. Top Gun, the original? Yes. I'm thinking it made like $400 million worldwide. Okay. On a $15 million budget. $15 million. And, they, and they, it was filmed in a Nevada airbase, right? They used real planes. They had like, it was ridiculous, the expense of being there, using this real military equipment and aircraft carriers and everything. It made $357 million worldwide. So great guess. Mm. Do you know what that equates to today? According to Box Office Mojo, inflation and everything. $850 million. Jesus Christ, $815 million. God, so I the question fire. is, and remember, the bat, the Batman, $768 million. Doctor Strange just surpassed $800 million. Yes, I was wrong in that bold prediction. We don't need to mention it. You Will this go. make $800 million? Yes. You think Top Gun Maverick makes more than the Batman? Top Gun Maverick is going to make over... It's going to outdo the Batman. It won't outdo Doctor Strange. How about that, Ricky Flicks? That's exactly what's going to happen. You got the, I think you got the older demographic that are going to be showing up here, but Tom Cruise is really relevant to all audiences at this point. I mean, for God's sakes, I showed when this trailer for the new Mission Impossible movie came out starring Tom Cruise, I actually showed it to my students on the projector before class. I told them that we're supposed to learn about the industrial revolution, right? We want to talk about technological innovations. Let's show you how a jet is supposed to fly. Let's show you. Let's. So I I showed them the trailer. They're blown away. They're blown away by that trailer. I thought about showing Top End Maverick afterwards. I'm like, I'm already killing too much time with this class, you know, and they, they just don't have the passion for the movies as much as I do. Kids these days. Kids these days, they're addicted to TikTok and 60-second videos. Ridiculous. I do want to say, Ricky Flex, there was also uh, – so with these 
press tours that are going on. We have obviously Top Gun Maverick, Tom, and also what's going on with Khan. He has been interviewed and he's had some uh, very interesting quotes. And he also admitted that he has seen every movie released in theaters. I believe since the pandemic started, it might be earlier than that, but he has gone in disguise to go see these movies because obviously people are going to notice Tom Cruise. Okay. They might think he's a little taller, but. Yes, they're going to notice who Tom Cruise is. So, Ricky Flex, I have a question for you before we dive into the review. What do you like? What do you imagine is like the funniest movie or the funniest situation Tom Cruise has found himself disguised watching a movie? Like, what is the movie that you're like, oh my god, can you believe Tom Cruise has seen this in theaters? Well, first off, I don't believe him. There's no way he's seen every. He doesn't have enough time. He complains on set about you how much don't time. Doubt he... Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise can do anything. Did you see him flying off a him. cliff off a bike in the Mission Impossible trailer? This man fears nothing, can't accomplish anything. No, I don't believe him. But I'm thinking craziest movie. So he so he saw Morbius. That was the joke going around. He has uh-huh. seen Morbius. He saw Morbius, and I did not. That that's crazy to say. Um, wow. Like he's seen Minions. All the Minions, Despicable Me's, like. Oh. I think also what came to my mind, I imagine Tom Cruise in a trench coat wearing like his aviators from the set of 1986 as Top Gun. And mm-hmm. I imagine him seeing Trolls World Tour. <laughs> Actually, was that was that, 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 that was VOD? That was VOD. You mean Trolls? Yeah. Well, that was World Tour. Trolls World, World Tour. That's the, one, that's the one movie that brought down cinemas. Remember that? <laughs> that's how we started this podcast. But yeah, Morbius was definitely the joke going around. I was trying to think of a different movie, but the VOD kind of stumped me there. No, I'm thinking that he puts on like a bald, a bald head, the bad glasses, goes Tropic Thunder, uh, uh, Lex, whatever his name is, Rex Grossman puts on a fat suit. Fat suit goes in. That's how he sees these movies. Goes as Les Grossman. I like that idea. Just like to see him like putting so much effort just to go to a movie theater and not be recognized. It's probably more like costume design and makeup than a lot of the movies uh, that the effort that lots of movies he goes to see has, if you know what I'm saying, <laughs> you know, it just, that's what him that takes for him to go out in public and go see a movie in LA. Um, all right. I think it's time. I think we get to the synopsis, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDB, the whole shebang. And let's dive into Top Gun. So, synopsis reads, The Top Gun Naval Fighter Weapon School is where the best of the best train to refine their elite flying skills. When hotshot fighter pilot Maverick is sent to the school, his reckless attitude and cocky demeanor put him at odds with the other pilots, especially the cool and collected Iceman. (sighs) But Maverick isn't only competing to be the top fighter pilot, he's also fighting for the attention of his beautiful flight instructor, Charlotte Blackwood, played by Kelly McGillis. So, on Rotten Tomatoes, Ricky Flex, do you know the score of this movie on Rotten Tomatoes? I just saw it. And... Okay, don't say it then. <laughs> so, it has a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes critic score. It's got an 80, 83% audience score, uh, as well as a 6.9 out of 10 in IMDb. So, when you see that 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, what goes through your mind, Ricky Flex? Okay. I knew something was wrong when I saw that. Because there's no way that can be true. Yes, this movie's corny at times. Yes, it's cheesy. Yes, there's. it feels like a commercial at times. Tony Scott directing. So it kind of makes sense. That all, okay. But to be a 56, there's no way. And I looked deeper into this. 
All right. I took the time out of my day, Dr. O. You know what I did? Okay, I, read, review. I read I read so many rotten tomato rotten reviews of this movie. And the commonality with all the rotten tomatoes, uh the rotten scores on rotten tomatoes. Oh, you have a guess? Uh, I was gonna say they all were like post 2015. The reviews. They all were post 2015. They were all about how political the movie was, how it was Cold War propaganda, the how Reagan inspired this movie, yep, and how you have to be the best of the best. Cold War propaganda. Expose these guys. Expose them. So I'm just saying, it's ridiculous <laughs> the hypocrisy of these critics because. You know what? This movie is patriotic, but it could have been more, to be honest. It's more about just the competitive spirit within this group, not about America versus everybody else. So take that BS aside about how this is Cold War propaganda. Best of the best, what has Liam Neeson made a career on the past two years? We are uh, two decades. We are obsessed with watching the best of the best doing what they're great at, right? John Wick. We love John Wick because he's the best assassin and he's defeating everybody else because he's the best. We like watching. Uh, movies where it's just all these the the protagonist is just the best at what they do and then they're great at it whether it's an assassin movie whether it's flying whether it's whatever a business wall street gordon gecko it doesn't matter what it is we love watching people that are amazing at what they do do what they do uh, and be the best at it right and like if we think back to like all of our favorite movies and protagonists it's like where do they go to school oh they went to harvard yeah like they're all geniuses or something like that or yeah, like they just always like I'm just saying like they all are well off. It's just ridiculous how all these critics are so hypocritical and they will make a movie like this tank in a Rotten Tomato score versus all these other movies that might have a better Rotten Tomato score or or more critically acclaimed for the same reasons they uh for the same reasons but using it in a positive manner. It's ridiculous and I'm not going to stand for it. Ricky, I'm going to bring an unbiased approach to this podcast. I'm going to hold the hold you in check uh, because obviously you're running red right now. Okay. So I, wa I want you to think about what would this Rotten Tomatoes score be if Rotten Tomatoes existed back in 1988? Like what would the Rotten Tomatoes score for Top Gun be in that situation? Are you saying it's going to be pushing 90? It's going to be mid 80s? Like where do you imagine it is like in terms of like critical reception? Because I can push back even further on your argument. You know what Roger Ebert gave this movie out of four stars? He probably hated this movie. Two and a half. Yeah. Two and a half. He, he did not like stars. this movie. It's Roger Ebert. He doesn't like anything. Oh, that's not true. Come on. Roger Ebert. No he, way. He, he's very critical. Yeah, I know. It's his job. He's a movie critic. But I think I'm going to hold you in check to a further extent just because this movie definitely has its flaws. And I think you have acknowledged it has its flaws. But I think what makes this movie so great outweighs what makes it kind of cringy, you know? corny yeah, like you yeah. said before and uh it's one of the most enjoyable rewatches maybe in history a cable type of movie i know i re i watched this the first time in my life with our dad on amc um i know the theme song was stuck in my head ever since i saw it take like and i feel like that song we'll get to it but like our little sister she loves that song Right. And she she automatically loves this movie just because she's associated with that Berlin song. But for me, it kind of sucked because I don't like the song without the movie. If the song's not playing with Kelly McGillis in the background, I'm like, I don't want to hear it. Turn it off. But if I'm watching this movie, I'm like, 
keep playing the song because it hits every time. Yeah. I think a big also another thing here, just to play into the critical score. I think you're correct. Is that this movie is not like I'm saying this is a critical powerhouse of a movie. I just think that when you say a score or like we're talking about just like a Rotten Tomato score, it's not just about how good of it. Like Top Gun Maverick, I'm telling you, 96, 97, there's no way. Like the Dark Knight has less of a Rotten Tomato score than Top Gun. 94. So it is, I'm not saying that it should be like a 96, 97 Top Gun, the original. What I'm trying to say is that it to be rotten is absolutely asinine. And I think just if you look at iconic moments alone, you can't like like punish it that much. And I know like other movies of the decade, like Flashdance, for example, terrible movie, but obviously iconic. But I don't think it's in that level either. Okay. Yeah, it, like not- a lot of it's like iconic moments, like carry uh, aren't carried by the movie. I think it's more of the performance of Tom Cruise. But there are flaws in the iconic moments, and I think that's of what I'm going to break down are. today. I think that's of what we're going to break down. Are. We're going to look at certain scenes and be like, okay, maybe is but that as good as we remember? I think or, also like- what holds it back is that the producer, who's arguably the most like iconic, one of the most iconic producers of all time, Jerry Bruckheimer, it produced this movie. This was like kind of his like breakout movie per se, as in big box office, the man's worth over a billion dollars. Like, and again, Jerry Bruckheimer, like we talked about Nick Cage or he did Con Air, um, Con Air, um, The Rock. Um, he, he did Armageddon, Michael Bay, frequent Michael Bay collaborator, uh, collaborator like the bad uh, bad boys. I like, literally he, think Pirates of the Caribbean right here, Bruckheimer. Exactly. Uh, it's so, just based on how old we are, you know? But a lot of people think this movie, you know? Yeah, so I'm just saying that also has that stigma attached to this movie, just like the blockbuster action movie, which it is. But I think that has something to say of how successful it was and how it should translate to a score, whether it's critically or just it should be better than a 56 is all I'm saying. Okay, so I think we've gone over your relationship with Top Gun. We know it's a very passionate one. I think we should talk about what this movie meant, or I guess still does, uh, in terms of history, in terms of what it meant uh, as a, a movie from the 80s. Uh, I have. I, I want to start up this conversation by just saying, is this what you consider to be the quintessential movie of the 80s? And uh, if so, what makes it so quintessential? If you are to do a deep dive into like the 80s and like cinema during that time, like why is Top Gun a must watch? And is it like the one movie that does kind of, I guess, show what the 80s were all about? So when you think of like 80s movies, like, what do you think of? You think of montages, like the movie montages. Like, that's what, like, Family Guy makes fun of them all the time. Rocky Four, like, we make fun of the montages, upbeat music, Hearts on Fire, John Cafferty there, here, like, playing with the boys' volleyball scene. Like, we have so many music montages, the slow-mos, the visual effects that are good for its time, but, like, maybe looking back, it's a little grainy and not on purpose. Um, and just with those slow-mos, makes it kind of harsh. Uh, in today's standards, but back then, like that's what it was in the '80s. So this montages, the music. I think the '80s were known as the blockbuster era, right? That's when Spielberg really pushed James Cameron, right? Those two really pushed their brands during the '80s. Bruckheimer comes on this, on like the probably Bruckheimer, I would say, is like the biggest action blockbuster producer, non-franchise, like Lucas, like Lucasfilm. Um, What's her name? Uh, Frank Marshall and his wife, uh, Kathleen Kennedy with Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Also, we forget. So I'm just saying like this is like the blockbuster action packed decade. So, yes, Top Gun definitely would be in that conversation. 
But do I consider like all those elements are in Top Gun, but I don't consider it the 80s movie because like I think of like the Brat Pack, right? I think of like teenager movies. I think back to the future. I, I, I'm thinking back to the future as well. Like just kid driven, teenage driven movies or like perceived like, like Ferris Bueller. Now, Ferris I, I would Bueller. argue Ferris Bueller is or Breakfast Club is the quintessential 80s movie. Right. Those That's what are. I would lean more towards. Um, even like I'm, I think I think Top Gun beats back out to the e. future, but you could say E.T. or something like that as well. well yeah, I think E.T. is just like I could I think I would argue it's like E.T. is just the greatest movie that came out in the <laughs> in that decade. I love E.T. Yeah. But like but I, in terms of like what captures what the 80s were all about. I got to say, Ricky, this might be number one. It's definitely, as you said, it's in the conversation. I think a huge part about it, right, is how it looks and how it sounds. All right, want to talk about how it sounds? You think Kenny Loggins. What's Kenny Loggins known for, right? Obviously, you could talk about like the uh you could talk about uh the other movies he's done in the 80s, the soundtracks he's done. It was so weird because he did three major 80s movies soundtrack. If you Legend. look at Caddyshack, right? With I'm all right. And I believe that was 1980. And then we have uh Footloose, 1984, and then you have Top Gun. Like the sound of Kenny Loggins' voice just just tells you this is 80s, baby, right? The score, the synth that's going on in this movie, really popularizing with, with scores during that time and also pop music. The way, like the, the leather jackets, the aviators, the makeup yeah. on the girls, the hairdos, you know? Just the fact that you have Tony Scott directing it. Like how many younger people know who Tony Scott is? Like he makes a name for himself in the 80s. You could even say he's bigger in the 90s, but like Tony Scott – like Beverly Hills Cop 2, you know? That's what I think of, like, as his next movie. I think that was his next movie. Uh, yeah. It was after it. I'm not he really did, sure. He did to- yeah, he did, he did that I think next of, year. I think of, like, the faces that you see. Like, Anthony Edwards. Did he do anything, like, other than any other movies, I should say, after the 80s? No. Do you well, think there of- one. I can only think of one. And, like, when you look at, like, certain characters, certain faces, you see the principal from Back to the Future showing up, you know? Uh the corny action lines, okay? The nicknames, the call signs. Like, these added, I think, trends to the uh, trends afterwards in pop culture. Aviators, call signs, right? The music that sticks after. It has, like, a, a major cultural impact, even more so than a lot of the John Hughes movies, in my opinion, you know, which is crazy to say. Any thoughts on that? I, I, I see what you're saying, and I agree. I just think that like the actual premise of it like matters. Like I think just the aviation, like fighter pilots, like just that aspect that it revolves around doesn't connect as much to the era, the eighties as like what we were talking about with John Hughes and those type of movies. That's why I kind of lean towards that. And what the teenager aspect is why. Um, but I just wanted to get back to something else. Cause I wanted to bring this up during this review and you brought it up just now. I think what truly for me defines like the greatness of the era of the decade of the eighties with movies in particular is kind of what a lot of people hate about the eighties. Like at least popularity wise, at least what I believe. I don't, I don't, I don't say I believe this, but I think a lot of people will agree. Eighties music. Okay. MTV is huge. Like every the pop culture, materialism, consumerism through the roof. Right. And a lot of people looking back on the 80s don't love the 80s music compared to like the 90s or 2000 or whatever. But you can't deny that in movies, the 80s was a great decade. And that's when soundtracks mattered. 
That's like Kenny Loggins on three separate soundtracks. Three different ones, like, dude. The eighties and like ugh, the eighties just were so important. Like the eighties music movies, sorry. Soundtracks were so important and crucial, and I miss that. Like that's why we're obsessed with James Gunn. We're, we're like we're obsessed with all these directors, create like these creative minds and movies. Culture, focus- culture clashing, you know. Exactly, like- they really focus on the soundtrack, right? And like to be honest, like a lot of people that do, they're some of the best directors that we have, some of the best filmmakers that we have. But the ones that don't, their movies just aren't as attractive to us audience members. And that's why the '80s is one of the best decades of movies because that's when the blockbuster came alive and people were going out and seeing these movies. And they weren't just superhero movies; they were just a one-off in Top Gun, right? And that's when being a movie star mattered. Being being a movie yes. star. You know what? That doesn't matter as much anymore. Like we like we can bring up a bunch of examples, but one that always sticks in our mind from me, recent memory is the Last Duel. You think of Adam Driver in that movie, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. How does that movie do? It makes less than ten million dollars. Like, are you kidding me? Like those names? Like that doesn't happen in the 1980s when you have a guy like Tom Cruise, who's a hot young actor on the scene, fully emerging right as the next guy, right? And like. And I think we should talk about Tom Cruise next, unless you have something to add. No, I was gonna, I was gonna say Tom Cruise uh, with this movie, and so, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, is this the role as Pete Mitchell Mavic? This is what he's best known for, or do you, do you, would you argue another role? Like, what does this movie mean to Tom Cruise particularly? I think. Listen, yes, Tom Cruise was hit in the scene before this movie, right? Nineteen eighty-three, huge year for him. The Outsiders, um, Risky Business, talk about another great soundtrack, and All the Right Moves, football movie, right? Um, not the greatest movie, but still a football movie that he starred in. Like, that's that's still like for a, a big time, like an actor trying to come, come into his own, that's big time. So had those three movies, right? 1985 works in a terrible movie called Legend, but who was the director of that? Ridley Scott. Mm. Ridley Scott. And... Mm. Top Gun in 1985, Tony Scott says, I want to make this movie based off this article. Uh, I forget what it what it was, this magazine article, whatever. But you know who was supposed to be? Uh, Pete Mitchell, Pete Maverick Mitchell, Dr. O? Uh, I feel like I know it, but I, go ahead. Matthew Modine. Yeah, I, I did. Matthew Modine. Yeah. And then he said he didn't want to do it. Ridley Scott says, hey, my brother is doing this movie to Tom Cruise while they were on set. And Tom Cruise says, I'll take a look at it. And then 30 years later, we're having Top Gun Maverick. So I think Tom Cruise like wasn't there yet, right? He had some good movies working with some good directors, Ridley Scott. But he didn't have that one big break. And then this is the big break because this same year, what comes out later in the year? The Color of Money, Paul Newman. And that's Scorsese. where Scorsese. Paul Newman, Rain Man comes out after, and then he's just full blown like he took over Hollywood. It's the number right one after. movie star on the planet, and it's know, because of this point. movie. It is because of this movie, and that talk with Ridley Scott, working with him, gets to work with his brother, gets it big on the the era of the blockbuster, nineteen eighties, arguably the biggest one, Top Gun. Like that's it's obviously massive for him, as we saw in his years uh, throughout. And now, thirty years later, we're having a second one just off of this movie. I'll tell you what, I think this movie was so important to Tom Cruise himself because it allowed him to do whatever he wanted afterwards. 
You know, it allowed him to work with the greatest directors. He could have gone the same route that he's taking now with a lot of these blockbusters, right? Mission Impossible franchise. But it like leads into like a different era of Tom Cruise. You got like this emergence blockbuster era cruise. All right. Then you got the dramatic cruise that follows Top Gun. You brought up Rain Man. Think about the 90s, born on the 4th of July, a few good men. Jerry Maguire leading into the end of the decade with Magnolia. Nice and then, shot. and then like Minority Report in 2000, which is like a starting to lean back into, right, that action type of star. But after that phase, he goes blockbuster, younger, emerging years, dramatic phase, and then full blown action star again. Very unorthodox type of career. But what's your favorite era of Tom Cruise? For me, it's I, I've said this on the show so many times. It's got to be the '90s, '90s Tom Cruise, and me it's too. because I think he's. I do wholeheartedly believe he's one of the best actors we've ever seen. It's not just because of what he's done on the action blockbuster stage, but also in his dramatic acting. I think he's one of the best dramatic actors that we have, and we just haven't seen it in twenty years, twenty plus years. And it's sad to be honest. And it's we should have just given him an Oscar. God dang it, we should have given him an Oscar. The Academy messed up. We lost. I've got Maverick. And like you mentioned how like he was able to do whatever he want. He was able to change from a blockbuster, like from, from Top Gun. He was able to dive into some deeper things with some more uh some more room to run, uh, just critically and just out of the actor standpoint, dramatically, as a dramatic actor. And he ended up work like obviously we mentioned Rain Man, ended up working with Aaron Sorkin and, and a few good men, which again is to me is one of the Best as Lieutenant Cafferty, one of the best performances ever, mm-hmm. and not even nominated. Yes, laugh all you want. I don't care. I don't, I don't know. I'm just like, if, if I don't they, care. If you take away the scene where he's playing softball, I agree. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> that's not what the movie's about. So it's not courtroom drama. Not a but, sports guy. <laughs> but all I'm trying to say is that that era, because of Top Gun, and was able to do what he wants, and then starting with a few good men in 92. He took over the 90s. I know Nick Cage. We talked about Nick Cage like being the best actor with leaving Las Vegas, kind of like solidified himself as the best actor. And Tom Hanks, obviously a dominant force. But who was Hollywood of the 90s? And that was Tom Cruise. Nicole Kidman was his wife. Like he he dominated this decade. And that's what I miss about Hollywood. You mentioned The Last Duel. Like imagine Tom Cruise in The Last Duel in the 90s. Biggest movie. One of the biggest movies of the decade. Well, like, even it's if you absurd. kept the same actors in the late 90s, except for exclude Adam Driver and Jodie Comer. But if you have Damon and Affleck, like after Goodwill Hunting, like in that type yeah, of movie, yeah. like it's going to do numbers, you know? Right. Not I, to the same just, extent as Tom Cruise, obviously. I just love Tom Cruise where Adam Driver was. But yeah, yeah. you're right. And like I, we always you always like talk to because I always say like, I wish they're doing movies like actors that will go to TV series. And I know it's changed nowadays, but I love actors that are just Hollywood and they're stars and they're bigger than like just the tv series they're bigger than the movie tom cruise is bigger than that he's huge god like before figure. the right and it's before the mission impossibles that's what i'm trying to that's what i always love about hollywood and tom cruise solidified that in the 90s i love tom I cruise will say, 90s tom cruise for me i will say well i agree like i'm a i'm a 90s tom cruise guy like i love a few good men all right i love jerry Maguire. you know i'm a i love him in magnolia uh, but I do want to say in terms of what people are going to remember him for, I mean, if we get dead reckoning for mission impossible, part one and two, 
if they both hit the same as Mission Impossible Fallout, you might have like one of the greatest endings to the to a action franchise of all time. I think it overtakes like those eight movies overtake right his one his t- appearance as Pete Mitchell unless he wins an Oscar for playing Pete Mitchell in Top Gun Maverick. That changes everything. That changes everything. Or even he gets a nomination. It solidifies Pete Mitchell as his guy. But Tom Cruise. Right, what he has the luxury of saying is that he has lasted four decades of cinemas, you know. Okay. So it's like, what are people now like more familiar uh, when it comes to Tom Cruise? It's Mission Impossible. It's easily Mission Impossible, but people forget. Like younger audiences don't know what exactly got him there, you know. Uh, I know we have we're, we're cinephiles. We watch a lot of older movies. We know who Tom Cruise is. We're very familiar with his IMDb, so we know Top Gun got him there, but what has maintained and gave him longevity, you could argue was mission impossible. Yeah, I think you're right. I, it's sad because like, we haven't mentioned the firm. Another unbelievable movie. Like we, we haven't mentioned so many great Tom Cruise movies. Um, oh, that the, fir- the firm, the firm in the nineties, that was like right out. That was that. Gene that, Hack. Was, that was right after a few good men. Wasn't it? Yes. 1993. Yes. Like John Grisham book. Like, Oh yeah. Massive. Oh, that might like, be my favorite. The back massive. Like we're, it's absurd. Like the career he was at that we're just gonna forget in another ten years because he's nah, done all these black. Nah. I know Tom we will personally, but a lot of people either will forget. He might be just, the most movie star of all movie stars ever. He is. Yeah, I, but because he's done it all. The name always in, and it's just the name itself, Tom Cruise. Electric. Alpha. Alpha. But like, I think we should also just transition and talk about his performance in the movie. I think that's where. Uh, we should start because there are a lot of awesome performances, memorable performances, and also very unique performances for a lot of these actors. So Tom Cruise, since we've talked about him so much leading up to it, how do you think he actually performed in this movie as Pete Mitchell Maverick? Does he nail the cockiness? All right. Do you believe him? And uh, I mean, we already knew he had, he had the star power. It's easy to say that now, but what do you, how do you think he did in this movie? That's That's the thing. It's like we look at him as Tom Cruise – like now in 2022 we know who he is but in 1986 it's like he was still coming up on the scene right and obviously risky business like that's the clear indication that this guy has the charisma to play a pete maverick mitchell his name's maverick for god's sakes he's gonna be crazy guy like personality off the wazoo and this was like like i said matthew modian was gonna be pete mitchell like there's just no way this is tom cruise i can't picture anyone else playing tom uh playing pete mitchell really I really can't. The arrogance of him, the charisma, I I really think he was the perfect casting. I, I think, especially against the Iceman, I think Val Kilmer was great in this. I know we're not talking about him right now, but I think Maverick, just Tom Cruise in this, was what you exactly wanted to see, especially because a lot of his greatest qualities was because of the chemistry he had with his partner, Goose, and also the antagonist of the movie, or the, and the rivalry with Iceman. Yeah, so I think... Like, obviously, he looks the part when you think of, like, this, like, naval hero. Like, he's very clean cut, right? Smooth talk. And you talk about charismatic guy. Seems like he's a really well put together dude. Knows what he's doing when he hits the bars. Knows what he's doing when he hits the sky, you know? And then going along with that, you brought it up. I loved the relationship with him and Goose. I think that's one of the best, the best long-lasting, I guess, traits of this movie is that relationship, Goose and Maverick. It's like, honestly, you could say like that, 
when you are looking at the greatest movie duos of characters, it's like Woody and Buzz and Goose and Maverick, you know? It just rolls off your tongue when you think about, right, like best friends, bros, you know? Uh, and I think he was like the more straight shooter to a very like slapsticky, cartoonish Anthony Edwards. But then you look at his dynamics with Iceman, and that's two alphas going at it, the type of relationship you can actually see happening, happening against like two people that think they're the best of the best in the air as naval pilots. And that that dynamic to me is the second one. What I think is kind of not really there is, is the Kelly McGillis relationship. I don't see it as what I thought like it wasn't just their fault like between McGillis and Cruz that like I didn't really sense the chemistry. It's more about like the awkwardness of a lot of these scenes that they're in. And I think it hasn't aged well. But when it comes to like Cruz on his own alpha himself and this really established like he is an alpha playing an alpha. And then also how he is an alpha against an alpha with Kilmer and then also buddies with Anthony Edwards. I think he has it all going on there. Um, yeah. So do you think um, the relationship with McGillis worked? It's gotten so much notoriety over the years. I think, I don't think it's aged as well. Like, like I think you agree. I think I agree. Like it hasn't aged as well, but I'm not going to be as harsh on it because I do think like the quick, what do we love as audience right now? We love quick, witty dialogue. Like why do we love Iron Man, Tony Stark? We love Benedict Cumberbatch, Dr. Strange, the quick, witty dialogue. And this movie has it, and a lot of it's carried by Pete Mitchell and Goose for the most part. Mm -hmm. But I think with McGillis and uh, Charlie and, and uh, Pete Ma uh, Maverick in this movie, they do have that between each other. And I think it works for the most part. But yes, I don't think it's aged as well. It is awkward at times compared to the rest of the chemistry. It's just so hard when you're looking at all the other scenes and all the dialogue between Maverick and whoever, especially Goose, but like Iceman or... Ah, crap. Now it's... Uh, What's his, let's Iceman's wingman. Oh yeah, or, uh, switch. Uh, uh, what is it? It's uh, I, I, Viper. I uh, no, no, uh, Viper's Tom Scarrett. Yeah. I'll look it up. But yeah, like you know what I mean. Like like you stink. Like Terrible even line. that. That <laughs> so was like. Boring. But like it's Tom Cruise. So you're gonna believe it with McGillis. You're just not gonna believe it as much. That's what I'm trying to say here. And. Tom Cruise carries this movie, not McGillis. And that romance kind of showed that. Yeah. I mean, you talk, you talk about the corny lines, but I also, it's like, when I think of like the relationship, I think it's weird that the movie like builds up so much sexual tension between the two. And then like, there's times where you think they're going to act on it, but like, it's really awkward where he's like, he goes like after the volleyball game, he goes to get a shower He's like, I, do you mind if I take a shower? And she's like, yes, I do mind. And then she's making dinner. And then she's like staring in his eyes. And she's like, are we really going to do this? And then he goes like, I got to go shower. And yeah. then he doesn't shower there. He goes back to go shower <laughs> and right, then, at the academy. And then the like, next what scene. What the hell is that? And then the next <laughs> scene, not just the next scene when they see each other, but the next scene in the movie is them in the elevator and Tom Cruise going for a shower right again. After. Yeah, it's just like going for a shower again. <laughs> Uh, so yeah it's just like there's so much awkwardness between that role and then it's also got like this movie's rated pg i think it's like really s the most sexual pg movie long there's time. a classic 80s sex slow-mo scene with oh uh, this is it's, i mean we don't have to go into too much detail but that's like the worst sex scene i've ever seen in my life that that's that was just brutal. like them just like like tom cruise like that must have been i don't know he was in risky business so i'm like this isn't your first time doing a sex scene but like it's just him sticking his tongue out of his mouth and her sticking the tongue out and just rubbing the tips of them i'm like like if you are like 
an 18 year old like trying to watch like Top Gun for the first time and you see that scene you're like is this what they did back in the 80s like this is what sex scenes were like but like there's like a lot of sexual like tension throughout the movie not just like yeah. with those characters you also think Tom like uh what's it called uh Goose and Meg Ryan like you see their relationship and they have great chemistry they hit it off so well but when you compare it to what's happening it's so clear that the other ones take themselves way too seriously talking about Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis yeah. in this movie so I don't know I thought they were just it just there's something off about it it just it doesn't hit it doesn't hit like I guess like I guess I other agree. relationships Tom Cruise has had in movies in the future it's just not there um I think we should talk about Iceman because I gotta be honest with you, folks. This is my favorite, favorite character in the movie. I don't think it's close. Like Iceman, like he is the out. He was like the perfect 1980s villain casting. You felt like a couple years earlier he could have been the villain in a John Hughes movie. He could have been the villain. He could have been James Spader's role in Pretty in Pink. Okay, here he's got the tips. Right, he's biting at Pete Mitchell. He thinks he's better than. He knows he's better than Pete Mitchell. Um, and there's some conversations where they have where, like, I don't really view him as a villain. He's just, like, the enemy of Tom Cruise because, like, what he says a lot of times, it's right. <laughs> That's what I was noticing. I don't like you because you're dangerous. And, <laughs> like, when he's you're dropping right. those I lines, dangerous. he nails every line. Like, Tom Cruise doesn't nail every line in this movie. Like, that part where he calls him dangerous that you just quoted where he goes, like, I am dangerous then he goes ice man like it's just like really corny and just like it's not hitting but like when ice man says it he means it and it's smooth and you, you just like man he's right like this guy should win top gun so what do you think of ice man in this movie oh he's great like val kilmer like again like he's the polar opposite of maverick and like they purposely did that not just by just how they are in the in the air like one's a maverick, one's adventurous, goes off his instincts, one's by the book, you know, never makes a mistake, but also on the ground and by looks. One's short, black hair, one, and one's blonde, blue eyes, and six foot whatever, like significantly taller than Tom Cruise. They're just polar opposites, and it's perfectly played off, especially by the coolness of Val Kilmer as Iceman. And again, the witty dialogue it's just perfect. The chem I thought the chemistry was really, uh, really, 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 really good in the uh, between them as well. Obviously, Goose and Tom Cruise take the cake, but then they'll uh -huh. be followed. So, how do you think they're going to honor Val Kilmer and Iceman, Tom Kasansky in Top Gun Maverick? What kind? What do you envision? I guess judging by details from the trailer and just I guess pure intuition, what do you think they're going to do with Iceman? I'm not sure. I I know in the trailer they have his picture up. Um, like John Hamm refers to Iceman saying like, oh, like he recommended you for this. I don't see the same as he did. Maybe because obviously Val Kilmer has gone through a lot of health issues and I, I honestly don't don't know how he would be able to be in this movie. Um, But maybe he like really tried and makes appearance at the end. That's all I could see. Um, If not, it would just be that quick, that quick reference and that's it. I think they're heavily... Uh, implying that he's dead in the trailer. Yeah. Uh, they show a funeral uh, in the trailer. They have Maverick putting the wings on the casket. You would think that's for Pete. Uh, that's for Tom Kazansky. And they uh, they also in the trailer they say that Tom Kazansky is the one who recommends that Pete come back right, right. as an instructor to tight. Yeah, 
I keep saying, I'll keep using his formal name. Respect to the dead. Um, But also, I did hear, uh, I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to an interview with John Hamm, and they were saying, he was saying that Val Kilmer was on set for a couple days. Uh, He was implying that he wasn't in the movie, but like it could be just a ploy saying, like, yeah, he probably makes makes an appearance for a scene or two. At least they shot something. But he said they do something really wonderful to kind of honor him. My guess is that they give him like, an extended like funeral scene and uh, t- maybe they do a flashback or maybe a voiceover uh, of him talking because he might not be well enough to do something for the movie, but they got to pay tribute to him because he's honestly the best part of the movie. <laughs> I, he's crazy I, I, I obviously don't agree, but I understand, I, but um, I just don't see a funeral for Iceman because that's kind of implying Val like Kilmer's Val Kilmer. Alive. Yeah, exactly. Val Kilmer could die of his health and you're like applying uh, that like it's kind of weird that is like, weird i <laughs> i just don't that. yeah i just don't think they would do that so I, I i think the funeral which they show in the trailer will be like for a student or something what, yeah I, I don't think it'll be for miles you tower that'd so be kind of cruel no 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 they won't have, do that, that to have that, a that double goose death that'd well, be I, awful i think the fact that you brought this up you brought up goose you brought up his kid played by miles teller in the upcoming film i think we got to talk about what uh his performance means to this movie. So Goose doesn't, uh, uh, Anthony Edwards doesn't have the same like star power as a Tom Cruise. He is very much the wingman. He is very much like the sidekick to Pete Mitchell Maverick, but I got to say he's fantastic in this movie too. I loved his performance. Uh, he seems to be capturing like that eighties vibe very much. So he's got like all this exuberance and energy to him. Uh, literally is not negative for the entire movie on uh, until the point where uh, Maverick cost them in their first like uh, battle in the air at Top Gun, where he's like, I got a family and things like that. I got like, I, I got things to look up, look after. And that's the only time he was very serious in the movie at all other times. He's very playful. It makes his like his death all the more like tragic yeah. and it sucks, you know, and, but he, if there was going to be one guy who died in this movie, it was going to be him. You know, it's like suffering from the uh, the mistakes or suffering from the dangers of being partners with Maverick. But what do you think of Anthony Edwards here as Goose? Um, did you wh- where does he rank? I guess among like your favorite characters in the movie, he would be my second favorite for sure after Maverick. And again, just rewatching this movie reiterated like I know I had him on my list for our draft last week, but I just didn't think it was appropriate. I know I didn't mention it, but Anthony Edwards has a un- uh, unfulfilled potential candidate here. I think ah, this character, well, like he should have done something after this. He did a lot of TV shows and ER. varies. Yeah. So it's just, eh. and then, you know, David Fincher did a Tarantino type of thing, brought him back for Zodiac, right? In 2009, 2008, whatever Zodiac was, 2009. Oh, seven. Jeez. Oh, oh, yeah. Right. Zodiac, obviously. Um, But, uh, but uh, again, like, I just think that uh, he was the comic relief in this movie. Brought, I know his whole movie was comic relief, like a very lighthearted to, for the most part, besides the competitive atmosphere of it. But like, they were abused children. Like his one-liners were the funniest. By far. yeah, no, hundred percent. He is he is the comedy of this movie. It's it's incredible the comedy, the one-liners, the chemistry with Maverick. Like you said, that's why they go down as one of the best movie duos. Uh, it's not just because of Maverick because he can go on a movie on his own. That's why they're doing a Top Gun Maverick for God's sakes. They don't need a goose, but what makes this movie on a different level 
iconic, uh, iconically speaking, is because of that chemistry between Maverick and Goose. And so I, I guess this leads into my next question. I like how we're going to connect like the older movie to this one that's coming out this week. Like, what do you think they're going to do in the same vein, honor Anthony Edwards' performance, other than the fact they have Miles Teller in the movie playing his son? Anything else? I think that's it. I think that's it. And they'll refer to it saying, like in the trailer, when they show, like, I don't trust you, you killed my dad. <laughs> like, I think that's what they're going to be doing. And then, like, it's going to be like at the end of Top Gun, Tom Cruise, Pete Mitchell throws the goose keychains or dog tags into the ocean, right? Off the aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. So he won't have that to look to, but he'll look, look at a picture and he'll be like, talk to me, goose, and like give us that <laughs> iconic line. I, I, to me, it's like Meg Ryan like forgave Maverick in the moment like when that happened wasn't his fault but i know that's what i'm saying too i'm saying like he he, like basically she didn't blame him but like how is this kid who's goose's son just blame tom cruise for that type of moment you know like tom cruise tom cruise didn't blame tom scare uh, uh like pete maverick didn't uh blame tom scare for what happened to his dad it just seems like it's weird that who's putting this in his brain that it was maverick's fault just because he was in the air with him right again maybe he knows he has the reputation of being a dangerous flyer but like i guess they're gonna have to elaborate a little more on that because i'm not exactly buying that his mom is the one who's telling him it was it was like maverick's fault you know right and i think it's gonna be either what you just said or it's gonna be like oh it's classified so then it goes off of the reputation so then, like, he, no one really knows how he died, even though, like, we know. Like, the mom knows, so, like, Miles Teller's character, Goose's son, definitely knows. So that's definitely going to, like, piss me off in the movie. I already know it. Mm, Meg Ryan, a guest appearance in this movie? Meg Ryan? No way. <laughs> Why not? No way. It was their first ever role. Top Gun. They can't uh, be. But I think we should also, I mean, any other performances you want to talk about here? Because I think I do have to bring up a name because I don't associate him. I think it's just the generation we grew up with. I don't associate this character with Top Gun whatsoever, but rather as a joke. And that's Tom Skerritt. Uh, Tom Skerritt, like, obviously, like, we know him as Viper from Top Gun. But, like, when I was growing up, and you were too, when we watched Ted, it was just so he was the butt of the joke the entire movie. And I I now associate the name Tom Skerritt more so like as having his daughter kidnapped by Walsh from uh old school. That's what I remember him for. He's not he's not like the guy, the Viper from Top Gun. He's the butt of the joke from Ted. Like, do you think of one or the other? Do you put Ted or Top Gun with Tom Skerritt? I put Ted. I put Ted. <laughs> and it's not even close. I won't let you down, Goose. <laughs> Top Gun. Top Gun. Top Gun. <laughs> no, uh, just easily. That's that. sad. It's like I was gonna. I was gonna mention this uh, to you, Doctor. If you look at uh, Tom Skerritt's IMDb, it's absurd how long it is. It is absurd. It's like the actor who has like worked the most, but I know nothing he's in besides Top Gun and Old School. I know nothing. No, that has to be a real eight. You have to, you've had to live through the 80s to know exactly who Tom even Skerritt. before, like before that. Seven, like two, it's crazy how much he's worked, and he, I just don't know a single thing. It's crazy, mm. but um, I, I do, I did want. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. I was gonna mention a different actor since you did pose a question. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's forgotten. Oh, I know uh, what you're gonna say that Tim Robbins. Is in this movie. 
Uh, does Tim he Robbins. say anything? Is he alive? He's Merlin. He's uh, in, in the final fight, the final yes. dog fight. Yes, he's uh, Pete Mitchell's like guy in the. He's Goose's replacement, basically in the final Crazy. fight. Absurd. And there's a slight glimpse of him without the helmet at the end when they get out and they're celebrating, right? But I really listened closely this time around, and you could tell it's Tim Robbins. But you got to focus, right? Because all the all the quick jabber in the air, right? All the fighter talk. But you could say, and like Tim Robbins when Tom Cruise like, I'm going to slow down uh in the air he goes what <laughs> like classic <laughs> tim robbins i was like oh my god there it is that was there it that is. was it yeah <laughs> you're, you're gonna do what like that was like mm. that's my cadillac man there he is there he is but um yeah that's like when Eastwood really... heard that back in 1986 and said that guy mystic river boom but it's funny because like dude like Shawshank. two years later boom. two years later full durham and that's his breakout that's his brain. That that's his like Tom Cruise's Top Gun. That right. was Tim Robbins's. Exactly, but like he was, he was basically the back, literally the back seat to Tom Cruise uh-huh. for a movie. And two years later, he gets his breakout. <laughs> literally the back seat. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that's a good poll because I was pretty much done talking about the cast. I think that was the last like little bit there. Um. I think we should also talk about some iconic scenes because we're seeing some like mirroring of certain scenes in Top Gun to Top Gun Maverick. So I kind of want to run through the iconic scenes here and let me know if I miss any, and then we'll break some of them down. I mean, when you think of Top Gun, I think you got to think volleyball scene. I think that's got to be up there. Shirtless, wearing jeans, 100 degree weather, psychotic behavior, aviators on, all greased up by Tony Scott himself before the scene. And then along with the volleyball scene, think about the the Righteous Brothers. You've lost that love and feeling at the bar. That's got to be up there. Other ones, I guess, I, the opening scene, I would say, is up there with all the – like with Danger Zone kicking in, the Jets going. That's got to be on there. The red lens over the sunrise, Tony Dude, Scott. We're going to talk about the right cinematography there. because this movie still looks amazing. Still looks amazing. Uh, what are some of the other ones, iconic scenes? Um. Okay, well, you you mentioned like death, relating death back scene. to, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but you you talked about like Cruise. related to Top Gun Maverick, Ooh. and I think a big one that doesn't really get talked about is the bike on the tarmac, right? He's entering. Oh. It's right after he gets, uh, like, oh, you're going to Top Gun, and then you're in Fighter Town. Yeah, the music's going, and then he's Tom Cruise is running the motorcycle with the bomber jacket and the aviators, and he's looking up at the planes. And you see that in the trailer here, the Top Gun Maverick trailer. Replace looking, it. So I'll be looking forward to that. You um, you mentioned you lost that love and feeling. I also think the ending with you've lost that love and feeling when he gets back together with uh, Charlie. I think that's pretty good because like what happened the first time and he goes crashed and burned. What happened the second time? It's kind of <laughs> like it's the dialogue that comes back. That's corny, but I like it. Um, I want to talk I, about one more scene. One more scene that I forgot on the iconic list is the great balls of fire on the piano with Goose. I think right. that's also a great scene. And you see that also potentially being replicated with Miles Teller on the piano in the trailer. Right. Uh, like, I'm, right. I'm, 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 and I think, yes, like, I think it's going to be interesting what song he plays. But I think what dates this movie, uh, especially with people like our age watching it, they're like, and if you look at the bar scene, they are playing and singing hits from 1950. <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't hit like with audiences today so it makes me think what would they choose to put they're on the playing, piano right they're playing old songs in that era like classics 
But for us, our classics are from the 80s. Like, I bet they're going to play like Piano Man or like Billy Joel on the piano. Yeah. Billy Joel's a good one. Or like yeah. Journey. Like, they'll do something with the 80s, maybe on the piano. Elton John, mm-hmm. like something like that. Um, my personal favorite scene of the movie is, <laughs> is uh, right after the You've Lost a Love and Feeling scene, they go into class the first day. Charlie comes in, she's the instructor. It's like, oh, big reveal. And then Tom Cruise is like, your data is wrong. And then he shows why he's Maverick, why he's Tom Cruise and how his charismatic self is alpha. He's like, I was inverted. And then, how were you looking at him? I was inverted. <laughs> and then Iceman, obviously skeptical of it. And then, and then, <laughs> and then yeah. And then what's uh, Goose. Goose looking at him and he's just like, I got a great Polaroid of it. I saw it, man. Yeah, is that what he said? Yeah, they were actually one and a half inches away, like one and a half meters away, a little less than two. Got a great Polaroid mm-hmm. of it. But uh, yeah. that's my personal favorite scene, just because that is Maverick in a nutshell right there. And also, I just like the one-liner. Um, I think another one, classic, I think it's more of a quote, but... We got to run, we got, we got to break these down one by one. We can't just list them. <laughs> like, which one we are you adding now? Which one are you adding now? I feel the need, the, oh, need, the need for speed. speed. The most iconic, the most quotable line. Yeah, yeah, most quotable line. But the scene itself, instead of just walking back. Right, right. You know it's not I mean? like scene, but quote, great. Oh, yeah, because it's one of the most quotable movies of all time. You know? Right. You, you could you can list them off for days, and, like, you could just literally list Goose's quotes for days. Uh, but I guess if we're looking at it one by one, they hint at in the new one, there's going to be a volleyball scene, right? And uh, it's got it's got, like, the sunset going down. Looks like it's a little dimmer in the new one. But I think when you look at this movie, like it's a little uncomfortable, like to watch how like greased up these dudes are, right? Oiled up with the aviators and looking like like they just like hopped out of the shower for this scene. And I think it's really uncomfortable the entire t- movie when they're sweating a profuse amount at all times. Doesn't matter what they're doing, there's beads of sweat on these men. You know, somebody Scott. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish there, right? But uh, I do want to say the volleyball scene, like it makes me want 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 to nail the hit me hit me high hit me low that Goose and Maverick nail each time, and it makes me just want to like that's what I need to do this summer when I play beach volleyball. Hit me high, hit me low, and then what's I think he says something too. I mean, he says something to go with it, but I don't remember. But I don't remember either. It's spectacular. Just playing with if the you, boys. Oh my gosh! Unbelievable song. That's, that's what I was thinking of. That song's also playing, playing with the boys. So in the good. context of it, it's a little weird. It's just so yeah, weird. There's very like weird. Some, some sexual undertones like throughout that entire scene, but it's also <laughs> weird that Maverick leaves the game when the games are tied. Like when you, it's like a series is tied one one, and then he leaves. That goes He's against. Go. That goes against everything that Maverick is cocky he's got to win at all costs he's got to beat iceman but the romance the romance someone's gotta beat iceman he is the rival to the ice he's got he's in search for love as well he found the one i mean goose had more of the eye of the tiger like maverick can't be letting distractions get the best of them in the midst of battle Uh, i'm with you a little bit okay oh well so i guess what was another one we brought up? What's one we got to break down? I think we should break out, break down the bar scene. You've got you, uh, that, that love and feeling the righteous brothers. First off. Okay. 
I think we need to talk about the fact that the music cut out and all of a sudden the mic happened to be on that he picked up. What needed to be orchestrated in the background to actually have this all work out perfectly? What needed to happen? You have to talk to the bouncer. Hey, can you talk to the owner? Can you cut the okay. music? And also everyone behind us, do you guys know this song? Okay, good. But how often? Is this like an inside joke for those in the Navy? Like everyone knows this song or what? Like how did and that guy you jumped get in behind your, na- your fellow naval officer? You get behind them. But they all know the You're words. Group. Everyone knows the Sing it right chorus. now. <laughs> Wait, what? The what? song. <laughs> Come on, don't do that to me. Because you know, no one knows all the words You've to that song. You've lost that love and feel. I know the rest of it. <laughs> That's all that matters. But but they all knew it. They all knew the song. They they knew it so much. The dude grabs the mic after the song is over and sings the second verse. That's crazy to baby, me. Baby, baby. Yeah. Who cares? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, just point, I'm just pointing out flaws. Just pointing out flaws. And I like, think it's that's not I'm a flaw. And I think that McGillis had a good line saying he shouldn't a good thing he's a pilot because he's not cut out for a singer. Tom Cruise is brutal. <laughs> That's it's like singing. Exactly. Singer. No, that yeah. that that scene is very cringy. But I do think it shows naval, like the Navy's close knit community. Yeah, brothers. I think that's what it's trying to show there. Not just how charismatic Tom Cruise is and how he's going through thick and thin to get this girl. It's also to show that. Yes, is it unbelievable? Yes. But you know what? I'll take it. I don't think it was that bad. What else? Cringy. That's what I'll. That's what I'll say about it. What cracks me up before they, uh, Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise's character like talk with one another is, uh, Iceman's partner. I know we still haven't figured out his kid's dang I'm name. This up. Uh, he, uh, him taking shots so aggressively just made me laugh. Yes. Like he's just like oh oh he's just like slider in a slider. Second. Slider, that was close. You were so close, but Slider literally sliding those shots down his gullet in 0.3 seconds. Insane. Iceman comes over and does the same thing. I'm like, who drinks like this? This is so. They're animals. It's just like what we're just having a couple beers, man. That one scene, Slider literally drank like three shots in 30 minimum. (laughs) The guy, the guy's a tank, though. The guy's a tank. Uh, Also, um, yeah. So there, those two scenes. I think last dogfight is also iconic. Yeah, last and then it's like, no, you'll be my wingman. Mm, that That's yeah, good. you can be my wingman anytime. All right, high five. No, I like. Uh, I think the dogfights and like the action sequences of this movie, they're pretty unreal for 1986. You know, uh, someone has to be flying those planes. It's not CGI. Like it's not a thing yet. You know, right. they have someone's in the air doing these things, and they're filming it in the air in some way. That must have been so hard. And like people like are gonna want to go see Top Gun Maverick. They're gonna want to get to see the IMAX theater going, all right? Enjoy the whole experience. The sound of it's gonna be amazing. But the way this movie looked, I thought was also spectacular. Like I thought I like I that opening scene you talk about it with the orange haze. I felt like I was watching Dune. Like it was like Dune for like 30 seconds. I'm like, oh my God, this looks so much better than I remember it uh, with the opening credits. And then it goes from like the score into danger zone. Like, like that beginning of it is spectacular. I love the opening to it. Yeah. And again, like with the, like the camera work here, they use a lot of grounded uh, cameras, 
but they also put cameras on the planes, like directly on the planes. They put like one in the cockpit, one in the, the belly of the plane, and then a couple others on the on on the either on both wings. It's like Matt right? Reeves and the Batman with the Batmobile chase, you know? Right. So it's again like the way it was shot at the time. Yes, that seems like an obvious thing to do, but it's very hard to do it during that time. And I think for its day, like for 1986, it was unbelievable. I think now, like you talked about, like what we're looking for from 1986 Top Gun to Top Gun Maverick this week, it's like that's one of the things, the visual effects. Yes, they were good for 1986, but I'm expecting, especially after we haven't even talked about it yet, we saw the we saw a five minute clip of the movie uh, before Doctor Strange at, mm -hmm. in IMAX, which I'm sure some of you did. Like, I'm expecting that to be a huge step up in this, huge oh, yeah. step up. And I think in that scene that we saw, they're trying to show that. So that's one of the things I'll be looking for here to show a drastic improvement 30 years later. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think this is going to be, I mean, the stunts that are going to be done here, it's more about the flying techniques. I don't think, like, Tom Cruise does have his pilot's license, but he's not going to be flying the freaking yeah, jets. No. Like, like they're, they're going to have trained professionals, like actual people from the Navy, like flying these planes, right? To obviously safety first and everything. But it also made me wonder, like, how much is this like the beginning, 1986, when Tom Cruise started to do and learn most of these skills so he could be as believable as possible? Because, like, color of money, he learns how to shoot pool, like, behind his back. And, be, and like, you go later on, like, we look at Tom Cruise's entire career. Like, he is... A, a guy who basically is capable of anything and he does all his own stunts. Um, I, I wonder, and I know, I think we don't have an answer to this. Like how much did he actually learn before even top gun? Was this like the beginning of who he was to become and to be known for, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. This might've been the catalyst to say, Hey, I got to do my own stunts. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like not only because like he wants to fly the planes himself. He wants people to believe that he can fly the planes. And like, if he knows yeah. how to fly the planes, no one can doubt that he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about. So I am Ethan Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. Some of the stunts in that trailer are just, it has me so excited. I think it actually has the potential to outdo fallout. Uh, I said it here first. All right. Um, I think we should jump to scores unless you have something else to add. Oh, actually, we got to go to music. You got to talk about music. That's one of the lasting legacies of this movie. What do you think is the best song in the movie? Okay. This might. Okay. So clearly this movie and the music in particular is amazing. We've talked about that already. Right. And it did win an Academy Award because of the music. Best original mm -hmm. song. But it's not even my top three favorite songs in the movie. And it's take my breath away. Right. That's wait, just wait, 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 wait. So it's not your top three. So oh, you're saying okay? Because I think, first of all, it's not my number one, but I put it around like at three. I would say. I'm curious. I think I know what you have at three or two. I think so, I can make up your top three, but like I, I think rank them right now. I think the most iconic is Danger Zone. Oh, yeah. I think that's the most iconic. That's also the, the best. That's the best. My favorite. Because how stupid it is at the same time is playing with the boys. No, the no. volleyball scene that I is the eighties. I was gonna say that's the best one. No way, no, that's not the best. I thought you and said that was the best. No, no, no. The uh, most iconic best is Danger Zone. Most oh, iconic. Wait, wait. The best. So you're saying most iconic and best is Danger yes, Zone? Yes. Okay. Correct. I thought you were saying by playing with the boys is the best one. No, the most iconic. 
is danger no, zone. No, no, no. Sorry. A clarify. Clarification. <laughs> Iconic and best danger zone. Favorite slash just like what I like laugh about is playing with the boys in the volleyball scene. Mm. So that. It's, and, a, it's, it's a catchy song. I'll, I'll give you that. It's yeah. a catchy song. And I'll put three. One of my favorite throwback songs is You've Lost That Love and Feel. And I think The Righteous Brothers, that is a great song in general. And I'm not talking mm-hmm. about the Tom Cruise scene that we just laughed at. I'm talking about the end when it's actually The Righteous Brothers singing it. At the end concludes the movie. Boom. And I will take take my breath away. It will be number four above Great Balls of Fire. Because I think that's just kind of annoying, in my opinion. Well, great Balls of Fire. I like that. that was it annoying. Jerry Lee Lewis? I think I think it was that that... that song is annoying even when goose isn't singing it and when even right. when it's jerry lewis you know that's intolerable but it's it, it just matches goose's character so perfectly and like what a wise ass he is and like how he likes to have a good time and he, he, he is pretty he's pretty fire on the piano he gets the people oh, yeah. going gets the people yeah. going and like yes. gets meg ryan going in the back <laughs> take me to bed yeah what, what was the line man we, i, I should have wrote these down or, or love is take me to bed or lose me forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great line too. Like this movie's full of great lines, a lot of corny dialogue, but also just like lines that have lasted um, years upon years, decades upon decades. Like I feel like I, I'm surprised our dad doesn't quote this movie more. To be honest, maybe he's just not a huge Top Gun guy, as I remember, as big of a Top Gun guy as I remember. But uh, it seems like. People like I was watching a clip. I was I, the people I work with. I'm a teacher, so like my co-teachers or whatever. I saw. I said we were reviewing Top Gun, and we they put on Top Gun like iconic scenes, and they they were quoting along with the movie. And like when you had the the it's something that we aren't as familiar with. I I'm not as comfortable like to have the Back to the Future principal quoting lines at the beginning and he has some fire like military naval type commander lines in the beginning there and he was and my my teachers were just reciting them as like as if like they could do it without him talking on cue just let him know maybe made me think like this movie people that grew up with it they were just it was like us and stepbrothers we would just shout like quotes <laughs> back at each other one like anchorman we shout quotes and have no context people were doing that with top gun which is kind of nuts yeah Remember, boys, there's no points for second place. That's one of my favorites. Like the com- com- competitive competitive lines in this are really good as well. So that's why I think like our dad or like people that are coaches. That oh, like, Steve O probably quotes this. Steve O, like if you think you're dead, <laughs> like stuff like that, you know, <laughs> or like uh, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Like, just, like, like for me, what sticks in my mind is like. Iceman quotes, like I just, I, I love the Iceman oh. quotes in the reactions, like, like, like the part I recited earlier. He's like, I don't like you. I think you're dangerous. Like that whole thing. Like I, I love whenever, like as I said before, he nails those lines, and I think they're so memorable. Um, yeah, if this movie takes itself a little bit more seriously, I think Val Kilmer is even like up for an a cat, like a, a, a best supporting actor. That's how like how awesome he is in this movie. But the movie kind of like gets away from itself a little bit. It has, it just knows what it is, and it's having fun with it. You know. Um, do you think also like, imagine this is 1986 and you see it for the first time in theaters, uh, you're 18 years old. Do you consider entering the Naval Academy? If you see Tom Cruise in this movie? Personally, no, but I could see why people would. Or like at least tell your friends afterwards, like I'm thinking about becoming a pilot. I think if I was 18 and I saw this, I would be like, wow, that'd be so sick to be like 
Top Gun. Like I would want I want to be like I know I'm not going to do it, but guys, how cool would it be if I was in Top Gun? You know what exactly. I mean? That's what you I know would what, be like. You know what I thought of? Like what I connected it to? When I was about 20 years old, American Sniper came out. And when that movie came out, I was, I, was, I told my girlfriend at the time, I was like, okay, I think I want to be a Navy SEAL. It was more like, not like I'm definitely going to do it, but like I could do that. I think I could do that. I could achieve that. I'm an athlete. I can become a Navy SEAL, right? Whatever he's doing, I can eventually learn how to do just out of natural instinct or whatever. And like not even like taking into account like all the, stre- the so stress hard. we'll do on your body. And your uh, mind. And your mind. You got to be a genius. Uh I, I have the heart of a champion. I've no, I have no doubt that I could eventually, I guess, push myself to get to that point. But <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just saying, I got the same vibes with watching Chris Kyle. People might have been getting that vibe and seeing how cool Tom Cruise was in 1986. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and like, like the cockiness, arrogance of these guys, right? They're all in shape, playing volleyball, a lot of fun, the competitive atmosphere of it. Seems like the time like, of your life. This is like right. a recruitment video. Yes, yeah, that's again to the critics that were negative on this movie. I I did some research and there was like a like naval like recruiting or so like armed forces recruiting outside of theaters like when this movie came out. Oh wow, that is insane. That that's like, and you got to wow. think about the, the 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 contributions that like the navy is making for this movie. You said fifteen million dollar budget. Like I'm, I, I bet like a lot of these planes were donated in mind that this movie like is going to lead to a higher enlisting of younger peoples for the armed forces. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't, I, that's that, gotta, there's I do, gotta be a correlation so, there. No. I, so I, I did a little research here. Um, so like Tony Scott, like they didn't have to use real points, but Tony Scott's like, I want to be like as real as possible. Right. So they like asked to work with the military and U S government to use. Donated, real right? Right. Uh, did they? Because I know that they paid the military to use like real pilots. Oh, so it would go into the budget. Yeah, and it was like seventy six hundred dollars an hour to use real pilots. But did they like the planes themselves? Like, like they gave them the planes to work with, though. I would assume. I didn't see that. Okay. Um, Maybe I not. did see something where, uh, <laughs> where um, Tony Scott like didn't like something where the aircraft carrier was in relation to the sun. So he wrote a check for $25,000 to do it again. Wow. Jesus. Tony Scott. So like, yeah. So I think. Flex on him. Yeah. Like the aircraft carrier like moved, like wasn't on the right course because like the wind or something. And then it went to the, the wrong lighting. So he's like, we got to do it again. It wrote a quick check. Mm-hmm. All right. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, what a flex like to be able to do that just to get the movie made that you want to get made. Uh, I think we should jump to scores unless you have something else to add, Ricky Flicks. Just precursor of my score. I don't think this is relatable to a lot of movies that we score. Just putting that out there. You have like mine. I'm I'm going to be the unbiased man on this. And you can like Rick, Ricky Flex has, as we said before, an affinity for Tom Cruise, an affinity for Top Gun. He loves our guy. But I want to hear your score. Go ahead. <sighs> I'm nervous. I'm going with an 80. What? Oh my god! That's I. I thought you were gonna get me with like an 88 or something. No, I'm going 80. We're in a similar boat. I was thinking B B, not not B plus B, 
but I just can't. I can't. I can't imagine this in the seven. This is too much of a movie. Too, too great of a, a performance or performances, I should say. I do think the dialogue works a lot. I really do. The witty remarks. I really think the witty dialogue works, especially in this day and age. I think it works. A lot of cringeworthy, cringeworthy moments here. I don't believe the political the political toxic reviews. I don't believe this propaganda they're trying to give on us. I'm going with an eighty, and. I, I honestly, I, I'm mad at myself. I didn't go higher, but I'm holding myself to an 80. I was fully expecting you to go higher. I'm going to 77. Like I, I, I think this movie, I think when we do these throwbacks, what is so integral is the idea of rewatchability. This is like the most, one of the most rewatchable movies from the eighties, a hundred percent. And the performances are so worth revisiting. When you go to Maverick, when you think about Goose, Iceman, Right, even a lot of these supporting characters, these other pilots, right? The quips that they make, right? This is one of the ultimate bro movies of all time. One of the most ultimate bro movies of all time. Uh, real major quips have got to be with like, I guess some of the cringy dialogue that Charlie. you said, but that's like a part of the experience. The relationship between Maverick and Charlie, it doesn't hit the same, but the music is top notch. The movie looks great, and the planes flying around are great action sequences. Right, the movie has like this like attitude that like most movies don't have today. That I'm hoping this new sequel can kind of capture the cockiness of it, how it just like it recognizes fully what it is, you know, the self awareness of it all. You know, I'm really excited for that aspect to be infused in Top Gun Maverick successfully, so it doesn't feel like a generic like I guess plane movie, you know, like a, almost like a war movie that we traditionally see. Yeah, my last point here would be, I love how you said the rewatchability and everything you just said. And I think another thing you said is self-awareness of it. But also with Top Gun, the, uh, as in Top Gun Maverick, being self-aware of a, of this allure of Top Gun. But I think what's so good about Top Gun is that, yes, it was also self-aware that this is a bro movie. Oh, yeah. Right? This is like, this is mainly See, with a bro the boys. movie. Right. But I think also it resembled the 80s because it's so original. It's an original movie, not a part of a franchise. Based on an article, you know? Yeah, like the rewatchability, original, creative, blockbuster. That's why it's so 80s. Why you or some other, someone else would say this is the movie of the decade. Why I won't, I won't say that's ridiculous. I'll say, okay, that makes sense. And I think with Top Gun Maverick, it's like, okay, let's pull out some of the same strings but let's maybe elevate the love story a bit. Let's rehash that. Let's make the soundtrack, okay, similar as in it's an integral part of the story, but different. And then the visual effects, let's just ramp it up. And then, you know what? Then it's a success because I know Tom Cruise is going to nail it. I already know it. He's going to nail it. It's Tom now, Cruise. This is like, it's considered a classic. It's one of the best remembered movies of the 80s. So it's like, it's definitely, as you said before, it doesn't deserve like the critical hate that it receives now. For whatever reason, absolute classic. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. You only got eight days left on Netflix to see it. Uh, make sure you watch it if you haven't, because you're going to want to see Top Gun Maverick in theaters this Friday. Okay, so that's going to do it for our review of Top Gun. Make sure you stay tuned to the pod this week for Tom Cruise Week. Tom Cruise Week. So we're going Top Gun review. We had Mission Impossible breakdown of the trailer roundup last episode and we got the tom cruise rules draft rules draft coming out next all right stay tuned make sure you follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast make sure you subscribe to the youtube follow us on social media 
okay? Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whole shebang. Until next time, this is Dr. O and Ricky Flick signing off. We will smell you.